0: And then let's turn our, our Bibles back to our uh, Colossians passage. And let's pray. Oh God because without you we are not able to please you. Mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may may, in all things, direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, um, we are walking through Colossians uh, slowly, and. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 today. Um, Paul is going to use the analogy of putting on and and putting off uh, the old self as if we were changing clothes. So I thought maybe Nick would show up today in his uniform and we could talk about clothes for specific times. So I'll just use me as the example. Back in my lube center days when I owned my business, we wore uniforms. And so there were uniforms that you wore during work, which is not unlike I am right now. So I have my uniform for work, and then I go home and I change into my regular clothes, and there are times that are connected to the appropriateness of the clothing. So with, with that kind of as, as the background, let's, uh, let's walk in this. Uh, we've been talking about this change that happens in us and how there is this spiritual reality that as God in Christ saves us by the Holy Spirit makes us alive in Christ, brings us into the new kingdom, and we have been placed into a different time frame, into the heavenly time frame which has been pulled into the here and now. And so there is this spiritual reality which we are kind of living into and trying to catch up with. And this is what we are going to be looking at today. In this in this particular passage, the um, Colossians had false teachers who had been polluted the teaching of the clear, simple gospel, and he was they were turning their eyes of the Colossians, of these young Christians, from Jesus onto something beyond Jesus. So it was Jesus plus something. And and as we've been walking through, and we did a little mirror reading uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we can see some, but there there were a variety of things where they had gone astray. Today in this passage, uh, our message should be that since we have been called into the kingdom of Christ, we are called to put an end to the behaviors and attitudes that do not represent His kingdom, and be self-controlled. To promote unity within the body, the church. So, we're going to look at putting to death these things that do not not now represent who we are. So, we're going to look at the first thing we're going to see is death of behaviors. So, if you will, let's look in verse 5 to begin with. It says, Put to death, therefore, What is earthly in you—sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness—which is idolatry—on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So, earlier in the in the uh, in this chapter, in the previous chapters, Paul has laid out this theological basis. for 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 the gospel and for who these people are and where they are. So now he's moving into this practical application. And he does so by giving them lists and lists of vices that are connected to their old time and their old life. And he, he is charging them to put them to death. So there's this for them, for us there is a spiritual reality which our experience here has not yet caught up to so when paul says we are seated in the heavenlies this is true in the spiritual realm but it's not yet here for us and that's that living in the already but not yet we have explored some of that in the previous weeks and i think it's a challenging concept for us to wrap our minds around now many all of you are smarter than me but this is still quite the challenge to recognize that he is saying things that are true of us. So there's something that's true in a spiritual realm, but on the practical, we have yet to experience it. So Paul applies applies his theology through these lists of vices. And he frequently uses like lists of five. And there are some theories behind that, and I don't think those are important. Here he he gives a list of four uh, vices, which are commonly related to sexual sins, and then he throws on one. Uh, to make it five, which is covetousness, and he ties it actually to sexual sins. As we, so, we're going we're going to briefly look at some of these. This sexual immorality, as he first talks about, which is this is a, a very broad term. Um, it can cover many behaviors, such as anything that would be sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And in our world today uh, this seems odd compared to the messages that we receive absolutely everywhere all the time from every place. That you're, you know, if you are awake you are bombarded with messages and none of those messages or very few are upholding this kind of view of what sexual immorality or purity looks like. Um, that whole idea of saving yourself for the one and only until you're married is like a foreign concept. We, we've talked here and cited um, even the Christians' perspectives of whether it's wrong or not to uh, live together outside of marriage and how this is very, it's, it's so acceptable. And in the younger generations it's more acceptable than it is in the older generations. So, this, this is like 20 years ago this would have been still a foreign concept. But today it's more foreign than it was then. And the further we go the more foreign that gets. Because it is so, this, what is normal is permissible. Uh, these are some of those acceptable sins. And we, we, everybody has them. But this is one where in the current culture in which we live, This concept of of understanding that sex is going to happen between a man and a woman inside a marriage um, is is just—it's odd, and as we go further, it's going to become more strange. So, the younger your children are, and the more that you're going to have to teach them and train them in those ways, which God's word doesn't change, The, the world has changed considerably. God's word doesn't change, so. You know you the person in here with the youngest kid when that kid gets a, older that's these same truths are going to be there and these are and and everywhere around w- it would be acceptable to be veering from the truths of God's word but God says this is how it's supposed to be so we will continually be out of step with the world this next in the list is impurity, which is related to the Greek word for uh, unclean, and I think it's helpful for us just to understand that we need to protect ourselves, so that this we need to protect our purity in the sense that we need to be careful of what we see, what we take in. We need to think on things that are pure, noble, good, and holy, and everything you see does not fit that description. Everything that comes your way does not fit that description. That little song, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See, is appropriate here. Because there are opportunities, and those opportunities are numerous for you to be pulled in a direction which you should not go. The Christian, and we we have, you know, one of the things that is um, Characteristic, a characteristic of being a Christian, in if you're really a Bible-believing Christian, if you're a conservative Christian, then your behavior should be different than that of the world. So then, therefore, you become an oddball. Well, this is promoting the oddball thing. I'm not promoting fitting in. I'm not promoting looking cool and hip. I am I am promoting more oddballness. Because there will be shows and movies and whatever, whatever other kinds of things that are out there to attract our attention that everybody that in, in your friend group or maybe even in your, your extended family group, these things that people are talking about, and you will have no idea what they are because you haven't been exposed to them. And then once you hear these things and you do explore, then you'll recognize why and then you say, well, okay, I must still stay ignorant of these things because this is not the place for me. These are not the things that I should be taking in. So we have to be careful, we have to protect ourselves, and we have to guard against being lured into something that is not becoming of the Christian to be participating in, or to watch, or to listen to. So we guard ourselves from falling. And impurity can give way to passion or lust, and then that leads to these evil desires. So this, these are all connected, and it's connected to this sexual immorality, and it's if we're not protecting ourselves, then our, our lusts and our passions can grow in us, and then we have evil desires. And so this is a slippery slope kind of list, it appears to me. There is that saying that someone has said that sin will cost you more than you want to pay it'll take you further than you want to go and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It has a spiraling effect where once you start down this pathway our our desires and our our um, it's insatiable the once we once we taste of it we we like it, and we want more of it. So, we need to protect ourselves at the beginning. So, it's to this that Paul adds to this list covetousness, which he says is idolatry. Now, he addressed the seventh commandment, that thou shall not commit adultery, in the first one of the sexual immorality. So, sexual immorality is going to cover Adultery. Yeah. So if 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 he's if if you're not to participate in sexual immorality, you're not to participate in adultery. The tenth command. So that's the seventh commandment. The tenth commandment is very clear about what you should not covet. So you shouldn't covet your neighbor's donkey or your neighbor's uh, manservant or maidservant. But you shouldn't you shouldn't covet your neighbor's husband or wife. So, the the commandment itself is laid out very clear. Paul says that it's because of your sexual greed that it's idolatry. And I think this is a word for us in our world today as much as we are driven by um, sex. Where we identify we identify who we are by our sex, and this is continually popular. It's, it, it's there's a growing thing that's happening, uh, maybe by the numbers, happening more here in West Virginia than it is in other places, that uh, your identity in, in, in your sex, is is the penultimate thing. So that, that it's big. This is it's not a secondary issue. This is like who I really am. But Paul is saying. It's your sexual greed that is idolatry. Now, I am guessing that if I asked you, do you have a problem with idolatry? Your answer would have been much like mine back in the day, and I would have simply said no, because the passage that we just heard from Exodus, um, I mean, that's, that's idolatry. Where they, they made a golden calf. They, they, you remember the story that Moses is up on the mountain. They don't know where he's going to come back. He's up there talking to God on their behalf because they were too scared, so they sent him. But then while he's gone, they get antsy and they can't wait for him to come back, so they gather up all the gold and melt it down and make a calf out of it so they have something to worship. Which, you know, there's a bigger thing in here that there's a reality that we are designed for worship. And since they had lost sight of the one true God, they created a God. So when you ask me, or if I were to ask you, do you have a problem with idolatry, chances are good you might be like me and thinking, I don't make golden calves. We all know, I mean, we all know that is silly. We don't do that, no. My answer would have been, no, have no issue. Well, that was back in the day. Um, I I now have a t-shirt, which I I wore to one of our summer gatherings, that says, the human mind is a factory of idols. So I understand now, that was a a quote from John Calvin, and our, our, our human mind is an idol factory. Now I think this is, this is just all strange verbiage it seems to me. Now you know, I sit around and talk about these things all the time think on them. So I, I'm, I may be missing how strange this is. But when we are thinking typically of golden calves or something that is going to be set up in, a, in, in a, an altar kind of way. So that we can actually go and worship it. That is kind of what we think of. I think when we're thinking of idolatry. But what Paul's laying out here, and then other people have expounded on this over time, is that it is impossible to break any of the Ten Commandments without breaking the first one. The first one is, You shall have no other gods before me. So the root of all sin. The root of law breaking is idolatry. It is God making, as Tim Keller puts it. It is God making, which is so. That's this God making it takes us back to the garden. So the problem in the garden during the fall, the temptation, the, tem- the temptation was not just that t- fruit would taste good. It was the temptation was I want to be God. It was God-making. I don't want to submit to God's ways, and I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. So, this is God-making. So, the root of all sin is idolatry. Keller says, he, says, he asks, Why do we fail to love or keep promises to live unselfishly? Of course, the general answer would be, because we are weak and sinful. So, this is true. Then he says, but the specific answer in any actual circumstance is that there is something that you feel you must have to be happy. Something that is more important to your heart than God himself. There is something that you feel you must have in order to be happy, something that is more important to your heart than God Himself. Again, this is is a, is a timely word because we make decisions, our world indicates that we should make decisions by whatever makes us happy. I just don't know how one can live their lives like that. I don't really get everything I want when I want it. And I think when your ultimate quest is for your happiness, it is no wonder you have a miserable life. But when we're weighing out this thing that's in the present... Against the thing that may be in the future, this thing that we know, or this thing that's sort of in the spiritual realm, we may be very tempted to satisfy this desire to be happy in the here and now. So I ask you, what is it that's in your life that is more important in your heart than God Himself? Is it human approval? Are you controlled by the fear of man? Is it financial gain? Is it the preservation or improving of your reputation? Is it so that you can have power over others? Or might it simply be in this happiness it becomes i make this decision because i want a cure for my boredom paul reminds us that it's because of these things that god's wrath is being poured out so there's this thing where god's wrath will come but there's also this thing where god's wrath has come so it's this it's kind of there's this already but not yet thing with it also romans 1 says That God pours out his wrath. This is Romans 1 would be another, um, not necessarily parallel passage, but it's another passage talking about sexual immorality. And Paul says that God pours out his wrath by giving us what we want. Now, every time I tell you that, I get chills in me. That just seems odd that you will have your wrath, God's wrath you will incur God's wrath by pursuing what you want so when your ultimate thing is for your happiness and you are disregarding his rules his law you can receive you will be walking into you are making a conscious decision to go under his wrath yet we do this all the time Because sin doesn't have warning signs, and it looks good. J.C. Ryle said, what would you expect? Sin will not come to you saying, I am sin. It would do little harm if it did. Sin always seems good, pleasant. And desirable at the time of arrival. Hard, hard teachings if you ask me. So, we should ask the Lord to show us these behaviors where we have experienced what, what, these behaviors that are still in us that are tied to the old self so that we simply may repent of those things. And then stopping sinful behaviors doesn't go far enough. So, we need to put to death attitudes which are connected to that old self. So, the next thing we're going to look at is death of attitudes. So, verse 8, if you will. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So, this the whole concept of like sex and eating and drinking, these are basic human functions that motivate us to action. Beyond that, a basic part of our human experience is our speech. These are things that make us different than the, you know, the other, whatever, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, and so on. This is what Paul's addressing here. He's saying that this anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk that comes from your mouth. It's, our, it's in our speech. Now, we all get angry. I, I maybe get angry as much as there were more than many of you. But we have the ability to control our tongues. So when when you're when you're at church and everybody's pleasant and there's nothing to be, you know, getting under your skin, nobody's pulling out in front of you in traffic, because we're just here in church. It's easy to not be angry. But when you're going about your normal day to day in the routine, whatever that is, and things don't go your way, when you're driving, when you're playing sports, when you are wronged, when you are taken advantage of by somebody else, how do you respond? Do you allow yourself just to like fly off the handle and lose control to the point where then you later have to go back and apologize because you were a jerk? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, I, I think it's important for us to, to help understand this analogy of putting off and putting on that Paul's using. It's more significant than simply changing clothes. It's still, it still, yes, it has to relate. It relates to time and there the appropriateness of certain clothes at certain times. But I think what he's saying here, what he's saying in Ephesians, what he's saying in Romans, is that the old self died with Christ as we were um, brought into him, into Christ, by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And we were joined at baptism, is what that kind of spiritual baptism we physically represent when we baptize. We've discussed this in the last couple, few, whatever, last few weeks. 2.12, Colossians 2.12, whenever that was. And if you missed that, I would suggest you find it and listen to it. I think, I think, helpful. But there's this, there's this thing where we were joined to Christ and so it's in this death, it's in the baptism. Baptism is representing the death that we are joined to Christ in His death. And then we were um, made uh, alive in Christ as we and it's represented as you're coming up out of the water, but it's being joined to Christ in his resurrection. So the old has gone and the new has come. And so these are this old self, new self, is about time periods. and we've talked about being brought out of one epoch of time into another. and this this is what this is talking about. and so you have behaviors that belong to the old self, which has died. So keep, stick with me here. There's this, something going on in the spiritual realm that needs to happen in the physical realm. And that is that you have died with Christ. So the old self dies, and then Paul is urging, putting these behaviors and Um, attitudes to death also. So Paul is saying that we continue in sin not because of our default nature but because we do not fight sin and put it to death. I think there is far more to understand and unpack in this concept than I am ready for I don't know if you're ready or not, but I'm not ready. I'm working on it. But the thing that this is doing for me is we are not under the dominion of the old self. The dominion of sin was broken on the cross. The old self died with Christ as you were regenerated. And so, if you could think of you know sometimes in our circles we talk about .BC, before Christ. Well, that's old self. That's the unregenerate. if you can think of unregenerate and regenerate. So new self is regenerate. The Holy Spirit has made us alive. But we are not bound by the old self, and we have everything we need to live for righteousness in Christ. So, the, so when we're tempted, To blame our attitudes, which let's just call them sinful attitudes or our sinful behaviors on our heritage or on our old self or on our old patterns of behavior. Paul's saying, You have everything you need. That has been broken, that is dead. You have been made alive in Christ and you have all you need. To fight sin. So if you continue in sin, there's one reality. You're not fighting it. I might just give myself an amen on that one. But it's one of those things that I I would rather blame. That's just me. I know I sounded like a jerk it's just who i am. Paul saying those attitudes need to be put to death. And you have all you need by the holy spirit regenerating you and you are in Christ and you have all you need to put those things to death. But are we even looking for them? Are we recognizing our sinful patterns and behaviors? And then will we recognize them and repent of them so that we can believe Christ for those things? Which we are looking for elsewhere to make us happy. This is where we're going. If we could take this lesson seriously, if we could forsake the ways of the world, if we could feast on Christ in His Word and at His table, if we could stir each other up to good works, as the Scriptures talk to us about, if we could make disciples, we would be living in stark contrast to the world around us. These attitudes that Paul's addressing here that come out through our mouth is the same place that lying comes from. They're tied to the, or connected to, the old self, that that's dead. Now, you know certain families by their reputations around the neighborhood, you school teachers, you can. Uh, You can appreciate this that you say a name of a family, and there's going to be something that comes to mind about characteristics of that family. Because of the name of the family, you think of characteristics of the family, and then a year or two goes by, and now one of those other members of that family is in your classroom again. And you then compare and contrast. Who they are compared to the characteristics of their family. This can be good and it can be bad. And I and I, I and I think there's a sermonette there about name, and how we are to maintain a good name, and then bring that into the family in which we're a part of, is God's name, under the family of Christ. The Lord your God through the writings of Paul is telling you these attitudes are not becoming of my family. Live like you belong to the Lord and not the hooligans from down the street. Live like you belong to the Lord. So, we have seen where Paul, the Lord is challenging us, charging us to put behaviors to death. He's charging us to put attitudes to death. And then, for what purpose? And that's to promote unity. So, verse 10 says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11 Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So, in these previous verses we have been charged in a very personal way, very personal way. And now we are being charged at the corporate level, or the church level. Why do you not lie? Well, yes it's wrong. So It's always wrong, which is yet another commandment that he he's addressing there. But it also deteriorates unity. It deteriorates unity in the body. If you are worried about financial gain. If you are worried about the approval of your children. So, I don't want to discipline because I want them to like me. If you want other people to think better of you. If you are worried about your reputation. If you are worried about your appearance, etc. In other words, if you have anything else that becomes what Keller would call a functional God before Yahweh... Before God the Father, then you have slipped into idolatry, and you would be willing to lie in order to gain this that you think the lie is going to produce for you. If you lie for these kinds of reasons, so and I just want to have a you know if. Uh, if 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 you're if you're hiding Jews in your home and the Nazis come and knock on your door and you lie about that, that's that's probably good. So, essentially, lying is wrong. If you're lying for these reasons, you're going to deteriorate trust. People won't trust you. The concept is that we have been brought out of the world and into the, this, into the, into the body, into Christ, into the church, and this goes against or competes at least with our concept that most of us have been exposed to, most of us been, have been exposed to in most of our Christian walk. That it is a very privatized idea about our faith. And then with this subtle persecution stuff that happens where we no longer necessarily have our, Christian, our Christianity or our Christian heritage does not necessarily gain us capital in the marketplace at this point. So, In many ways there's opposition to it. That's only furthered our ideas of privatization of our Christian faith. But this reality that the Bible speaks of is that you are saved out of the world and into the church. You are saved into the body. So, there's this corporate aspect of your salvation. And when we think, well, I just really needed you to like me. I did not want to admit my failure. So, I don't tell you the truth. We are deteriorating unity in the body. Our sin, all our sin, though it may be very private, because it may be long up there in that first section we talked about, which is private. We may think that uh, it doesn't bother anybody but us. And after all, it's not hurting anybody. Well, that's not what Paul's saying. So unless you somehow know better than God. You're wrong. Your private sin, it affects the unity of the body. It's not only lying, this, this, as he's charging us with unity, this is cannot, still under, it's governed by that do not lie thing, but it's also connected to the rest of those on the lists, and a lot of things that aren't on the lists. So when we act selfishly and go about our business doing whatever we want to do, Our unchecked attitudes also become like rippling waves through the body or through the congregation and they make us poor witnesses to the world. So the challenge here is for the church to simply do what you say you're going to do. As Bert and I have worked with people in recovery, I tell them, about what integrity means. I've said this to a lot of people, and, and I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I've, I don't know people who are really believing me, and we haven't seen evidence of it, but the reality is if you will just do what you say you're going to do, then there is integrity. And for most of us, when we know the truth, but we practice differently than what we know, we're losing integrity. And it's not just us who've gone to seminary who can see through this. Your children can see through this. Your unbelieving family can see through this. You don't have the right to act in one way, but claim you believe a different way. And we, if, we, if you have unbelieving family, if you have children We have all kinds of things that we can talk to them about, about sin, and and we can easily point these things out. But when we are talking about our sin you just don't have to be a detective to see it. The inconsistency in which the way we live where it is not congruent with what we say we believe is obvious to people around us. It breaks unity, and becomes a poor witness to the rest of the world. Paul is saying that having put on this new self, being brought into this new time frame that began as we were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and then the rest of your time is actually living into this new self. And I think it's interesting here that When we're talking about putting on and putting off, these are completed actions in the sense that these things happen by God, where He made us alive in Christ. He regenerated us by the Holy Spirit. And so the new self has come, the old self has gone, and He has equipped us. So He has given us power to actually live for Him. Given that we were made in the image of God, And that image got marred in the fall, chapter 3 of Genesis. What Adam lost in the fall can be renewed as we avail ourselves to the Scriptures, to the means of grace, so that we grow in knowledge of the Creator of that image, so that we grow into Christ. Now, verse eleven—it sounds like Galatians three twenty-eight. What this means is that we are all one. There are no divisions. There are no separations. We—I'm convinced that there is not as if you're if you're much of a news watcher, there's seems to be a continual effort to have us divided over all kinds of things, whether it be racial issues or any kind of thing. Of course, political and all those things, but. When you're out in the world, in our little world, do you find that same kind of division exists? I think not. I think that there's an intentional effort to try to help us find fault with one another. In the church, all these things, they don't matter. Those things that typically separate, they just do not matter. For instance, in this list, there is no national allegiance. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no religious heritage to separate us. There is not circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no cultural separation. There is no barbarian. There is no Scythian. There is no economic separation. There is slave or free all among us. Because Christ is all and in all. And this idea... Because of this, this is why I am not a fan. uh, In different categories, the Acna has had a stand. Our, Our bishops had released a statement a year and a half ago about taking a stand. We don't really want to use hyphenated Christian. I'm a whatever Christian. Now let's just use Christian, because in this concept where we we are one that one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Those are those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit, have been regenerated, and are united in Christ together. By no thing that you have done to make it happen. This is all God's doing so that He may be given glory. Not us. So, in that, if my person right beside of me is in a different socioeconomic class, all ground is equal at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter, the, the, all those things that the world is telling us separates us and we should, be, we should feel bad for, they all go away in Christ because all ground is equal at the foot of the cross. We are sinners in the process of being saved. We have run in today to receive grace from the cross, to be reminded about Him and not us. We may have even tried this week to put forth our good efforts. And maybe you too have failed. But we come to the foot of the cross and we can drink afresh of His grace that He has to offer us again today. And it doesn't matter if you have money. It doesn't matter if you don't have money. It doesn't matter what color you are. Whatever it is that may separate us we are all one in Christ. And so, this as, as in Galatians three twenty eight. It seems, Paul is saying that we are all one. And, and that this is where God does not have um, favor on any of those things that might catch us. We might have favor over this one, over that one. Our God doesn't. He by His own graciousness sets His love upon us and draws us into Himself. And so we find our identity not as a hyphenated whatever or a hyphenated Christian. We just find ourselves, we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves Christians because we identify as people of Christ. Now we will talk more in, the, in next week uh, about putting on the new self and its implications for us. Uh, so this may have been a bit of a Debbie Downer kind of uh, sermon when we're just talking about putting off the old self. Yet I think that we find it's in Christ who is doing all this, who has brought us to life, who who has united us to Him, united us to one another, and put to death the old self. Now we actually pick up the mantle and take responsibility. For walking this spiritual reality out in our physical life. So, for now, having put off the old self, we repent of sins that are products of that old self, and then we live as if we belong to the family of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we give you thanks that you did not leave us.